Welcome back to Radio Entrepreneurs. I'm producer Nathan Gobes, filling in for Jeffrey Davis this morning. I want to thank everyone for tuning in and listening. We've had uh, over 8,000 guests on the show and counting. Uh, but up next, we've got a returning guest, uh, one of our regulars, uh, Tom McNulty of Lando and Anastasi. Welcome, Tom. Uh, hi, Nathan. It's good to be back. Thanks. Uh, always <laughs> good to have you here. Talk about uh, IP and trademark litigation and uh, issues that business owners face related to all that. Uh, why don't you tell us what you uh, what you want to talk about today? Um, okay, today I kind of wanted to talk about um, you know there's been obviously over the last uh, ten years or so an explosion of online sales uh, entities, Alibaba, Amazon, eBay, things like that. And uh, one of the things that I've seen in, in looking at um, intellectual property litigation in Massachusetts is sort of a growth of um, lawsuits that surround the sale of, of trademark stuff, trademark goods that are actually made by the trademark owner, but the sales are not authorized and, and what you can mm -hmm. do to prevent the unauthorized sale of, of your goods online. Um, you know, there's a number of reasons you may want to do this. Um, unauthorized resellers may have, uh, they may undercut your seller's pricing. They may offer shoddy service and lead to negative reviews. Um, they, uh, you know, obviously whatever, whatever it is that they're up to is, is out of your control. And as the right. trademark owner, you know, you want to, you want to maintain as much control as you can. Uh, one of the problems that people face and entities face when trying to deal with this sort of thing is uh, in trademark law, there's a doctrine known as the first sale doctrine that basically says once the trademark owner sells a good bearing the trademark, um, they lose control of that good and they can't prevent its resale. They can't prevent its you know, further use and they can't prevent the use of the uh, trademark name uh, in association with it. Um, and the idea is, you know, trademark law, at least uh, theoretically, is intended to prevent uh, customer confusion. And, um, you know, how can the customer be confused if they're actually buying an authentic, you know, made by the owner good? Um, mm -hmm. But fortunately, there is an exception that is uh, that is not super hard to, to come by. Um, and that is the first sale, uh, the first sale doctrine does not apply when there is a material difference between um, the good that's being sold and the good that you, the trademark uh, owner um, okay. provides. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, the difference, a difference is considered material if it's something that would influence a, a, a purchasing decision by a customer. And the courts have interpreted uh, material differences fairly broadly. It doesn't have to be all that much of a difference. Um, material differences can include obviously physical things. Um, there have been cases, differences in battery life, um, differences in the makeup or the variety or the composition of the product uh, or the formulation you know, or blend of product, um, alterations to packaging, um, removal of you know, reference numbers, SKUs, barcodes uh, have been found uh, to be sufficient. Um, differences in package shape and, and labels, um, differences in language, for example, um, differences of, you know, alterations of warning labels or changes to warning labels. Um, and you run into this a lot, like with electronic goods, because uh, one, of the, one of the frequent ways that, that these unauthorized sales occur is purchasing of, um, products that were intended for like the European market, for example, that uh, run mm. on a, a different voltage system than American products. Um, there are also non-physical material differences, and this is probably the one that it's uh, easiest to come by as a, as a seller or as a, you know, as a, as a trademark holder. Um, changes to operator manuals, changes to service plans, 
uh, availability or unavailability of warranty coverage and exchange coverage, um, excuse me, and, and differences in quality control have all been found sufficient to, to take you out of the material differences. I mean, to take you out of the first sale realm uh, and to qualify. Right, right, right. Um, so one of the ways that you can structure your business um, to, to at least be able to go after these people and, and stop their sales um, is to set up sort of a, a contractual agreement with your resellers, set up a, you know, basically a stable of authorized resellers, um, you know, provide them with some training, provide them with uh, uh, requirements that they only sell to end users and not resell to other sellers. Um, and then do things like limit warranty coverage to only sales from authorized resellers, uh, you know, limit exchanges to only uh, those from authorized resellers. Um, and that, that gives you sufficient grounds to, uh, to go after some of these companies, <coughs> excuse me, and, uh, and, you know, stop their, stop the resale of your stuff. Uh, it also potentially gives you another claim if you file a lawsuit in that uh, if you have a contract with your with your authorized sellers that they not sell to other sellers and they do, um, you can go after the ultimate, you know, trademark infringer also for uh, tortious interference with uh, with your contractual relations with your with your uh, authorized resellers. Interesting. Uh, I, I do know a little bit about this in, in that, uh, you know, I come from a background in, in the camera industry. And I know that um, these kinds of issues are often prevalent in that industry. You know, cameras are high priced items. Yep. Um, the, the, men, the, the part that you mentioned about uh, being resold in different uh, markets, you know, EU, Asia being resold in the US, um, you know, is, is, is sometimes a big issue. I think they call that the, the gray market. Yes. Uh, rather than black market, they call it gray market. <laughs> um, how, how easy is it for a business owner to uh, to to get results on uh, on filing these claims against these kinds of people, you know, at least in my mind, you have to expect that, um, or I, I would expect that a lot of these resellers are, you know, they're hiding somewhere online. You know, they they don't necessarily have as much of a physical entity as a normal business might. And so, how do you go after these people? Um, yeah, you're correct on on all of those things. A um, couple of things that help in that. Um, one of the one of the tricks with going after these sort of anonymous online entities is finding some place to serve a complaint on them, and courts have become um, much more open to allowing service through, um, like the Amazon email service or the eBay, um, you know, contact uh, point. Um, so it makes it a little bit easier to get the suit, you know, actually kicked off. <coughs> excuse me, and initiated. Um, and uh, one of the things you typically see, uh, there's a company in Massachusetts, uh, I shouldn't say in Massachusetts, they're not a Massachusetts company, but there's a company called Ecobee that makes like smart thermostats and, and kind of home controls, things like that, that has, has brought uh, at this point 13 or 14 um, different suits of this nature in Massachusetts over the last, I don't know, two years or so. Um, and of the ones I've looked at, uh, there's, been, there's one that was still pending, there's one that was settled, and in all the rest, they were able to get default judgment, which means the other side didn't appear. Um, and, and you know, default judgment is fine, but uh, but the the key factor is they were able to get a permanent injunction, um, which uh, you know, when the defendant doesn't appear, the court does still have to look at the complaint and determine whether or not there's sort of sufficient factual allegations that would support okay. an injunction. So basically, they're giving and and their their basis was almost entirely on the unavailability of uh, warranty service. Um, 
so that, you know, the courts and, and it's a number of different judges in Massachusetts that have dealt with these and all of them have determined that they have that that's a sufficient uh, material difference mm -hmm. uh, to bring this into that area. Um, you know, you do see this like in the electronics realm a lot. Um, mm -hmm. And I'm sort of, I'm not sure if that's because that's a more relevant or more, more prevalent uh, area where this takes place or if it just so happens that they tended to have their business structures already in place that, that enable them to bring these kinds of complaints. Um, but it's basically like it's applicable to anything, um, you know, where there's price differentiation. If you're selling goods in America for more than in other countries, um, you know, where, where, where the, the profit from a gray market kind of uh, situation right. arises. Um, the other ways you'll sometimes run into this, you'll have, you know, one of your authorized resellers will go bankrupt and uh, whatever inventory they have is liquidated and just pops up on eBay. Um, that that sort of thing. Um, and, uh, you know, so the main areas I've seen it, it's electronics. Uh, I've seen, you know, some cases involving like dietary supplements where the formulations might have been different or the quality control wasn't there. You know, if you have something that needs to be stored at a particular temperature, you don't want somebody out there doing who knows what and selling it under your name. Um, so those are kind of the areas that I've really uh, um, seen the most action, uh, you know, with these types of cases. <clears throat> so can the courts, uh, can the courts get, uh, you know, Amazon or eBay or, or whoever to, to shut down these, these resellers? Yeah, once you've got the injunction, you can go to you can go to the uh, you know the the different uh, online marketplaces uh, and use that as leverage to shut them down. Um, the other thing that does make it somewhat advantageous these days is um, sometime within the last I want to say the last year, but fairly recently, Amazon has started making it uh, more of a requirement that the actual selling entity be identifiable. Um, mm. So it's it's a little at least on Amazon, it's a little bit harder to be purely anonymous. Um, you know, so so that sort of works in your favor too. These are not necessarily suits that you're going to make a lot of money on because you still have to then try to collect. Um, right. But uh, but getting the injunction and then getting the uh, the online marketplace to take some action is becoming um, a little bit easier to do. Um, you know, a lot of these a lot of the online entities are taking this fairly seriously themselves. They're not looking. You know, Amazon. It doesn't do Amazon any good for you to buy stuff uh, on Amazon and be unhappy with it. Um, yeah, because it's because it's a, an improper sale. So they've they've got an interest in, in sort of helping out with this too, and they're sort of doing what they can. Yeah, and I can imagine even though there may not be a lot of monetary gain to be get, to be had from these cases, there's you know prevention of monetary loss due to sales to you know on unauthorized resellers instead of you know the the proper channels. Yeah, well, I, I certainly think there's the monetary loss, but I think probably the biggest uh, factor that would drive you to do this is protection of your reputation. Um, you know, one of, one of the ways you discover that people are doing this is you start getting negative reviews on your legit Amazon page and you wonder, well, geez, I don't recall selling to that person or I don't recall having that issue. Uh, so that's one of the ways you, you'll typically first discover this is taking place. That makes sense. That makes sense. Well, Tom, that's a very interesting conversation and I'm sure something that will continue to develop as our world gets uh, more interconnected <laughs> and online sales continue to grow. Uh, if, if business owners, uh, individuals, listeners, and viewers want to get in touch with you, find out more about this topic, how Lando and Anastasi can help them, or any other uh, IP or trademark questions, how could they reach you? Uh, well, they can get to our website. It's uh, www.lalaw.com, of all things. <laughs> uh, and they can get me uh, individually. They can get me at uh, tkmcnulty at lalaw.com. Great. 
I want to thank you for coming back oh, on I'm Radio sorry, Entrepreneurs. Wait, wait, wait. Oh, yeah, go ahead. If you could edit that one differently, it's tmcnulty at lalaw.com. Okay. <laughs> sure, sure. I want to thank you for, uh, for returning to Radio Entrepreneurs. We always love having you on and uh, look forward to having you back on the show. Thank you. And remind everyone, this is Radio Entrepreneurs.